0: John Clayton.
1: Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios.
0: Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand everywhere. On the 710 Seattle Sports app. Now, John Clayton.
1: And good morning, everybody. On this uh, Wednesday, now all of a sudden, after being in the clouds and looking like it was kind of wet out there, it's now kind of sunny and little clouds are still overhanging, but uh, hey looks looks a lot better than it did early this morning and so we got lots of stuff going on today to catch up on and of course uh you know we got the middle of the week football tomorrow night which a bad football game man it is bad Oof, got the game between the uh, philadelphia eagles and the <laughs> ooh, philadelphia eagles coming up and they are playing the new york giants on thursday night and you got so many injuries on the eagles so we got lots to get into so let's get into the five biggest stories of the day
0: number one And he is greeted by Betts, a shot into right, back at the wall,
2: and it's gone! One pitch, one more run, and the first Dodger postseason home run for Mookie Betts, 7-1.
1: So it was a blowout in Game 1 of the World Series, and finally Clayton Kershaw does well. Pitched uh, six innings, gave up two hits, struck out eight Rays. As the 8-3 victory over the Dodgers gives the Dodgers a one-nothing lead in the World Series. Uh, Mookie bets on man, boy. Tell you what, brings up so many bad thoughts of what were the uh, Boston Red Sox thinking when they traded him to clear out money so that they can do whatever they can and finishing is one of the worst teams in baseball. But uh, that's bad. He had two for four, a home run, two stolen bases. So game two tonight, Blake Snell is going to go for Tampa Bay. You're going to have Tony Gonzalan going for the uh, L.A. Dodgers. And so, uh, you know, baseball in its prime right now as they go through the World Series. And maybe the Dodgers can get this one out you know they've been to what three of the last four World Series and they're trying to at least get one and they're not going against a team like uh, the Astros that's going to cheat I mean you know a great story in the Rays being able to rebuild and interesting that as of on the August 1st salaries the Dodgers were at 95 million for the 60 games and you go Tampa Bay at 28 but Tampa Bay's done such a great job of rebuilding and doing all the things necessary but you're gonna be able to hear the first pitch of that game tonight it'll be at five o'clock on 710 ESPN Seattle
0: Number two, yeah, we really are encouraged by the by our guys' play and, and you
2: know, by their backgrounds and stuff. We haven't really had have the chance to really mix them with any consistency at all and and see how it fits together. Um, you know, it's that's going to come probably next couple of weeks. We'll we'll have a better feel for that. Um, but it, it is it's something I'm excited about, John, because because all the guys are playmakers and we we have a new level of awareness that that's that's fun to see. And so I'm anxious to see it all come together. I and mean, we have so long season. We got plenty of
1: chances. After the bye week, the Seahawks return to the practice field today. To seeing uh, that they can come and go ahead and try to bring back the uh, get that sixth win, and of course news coming from the Seahawks uh, looks like the Seahawks are signing Michael Kendricks for the practice squad. That just happened seconds ago. That come according to Adam Schefter. So remember he came in a couple weeks ago and uh, you know checked it out coming off the ACL injury from last year. And so Kendricks, along with Damon Snacks Harrison, on the practice squad list. And so he was willing to take the low discounted type of price. And so that's good news for. Seattle. So overall right now defense has to get better but of course now there's two new options for the defense in the standpoint point they need Michael Kendricks they can get Michael Kendricks. If they, and they definitely need Damon Snacks Harrison so he needs a good couple of days to show that he's in shape, in football shape because coming up they've got uh, four out of five teams that are really good running the football and he's good stopping the run. So, and of course just getting the better depth on that defensive tackle position. So I still will find out as the day goes on whether uh, Jamal... Adams is going to be able to do too much. He probably won't just go and miss today's, but if he can start to practice tomorrow and if he does some good things in the walkthrough, there's some encouragement there. You would anticipate that Quentin Dunbar should be fine. Uh, and, of course, they will get some other guys back too. It uh, doesn't look like Nico Thorpe is going to be one of those guys that will, will have uh, the possibility of you know, maybe getting Jordan uh, Brooks back. Uh, we'll see about that uh, right now we're going to talk to Kent Summers at uh, 1030, who's a columnist who's covered that uh, Cardinal team for so many years, over a couple decades. And he's going to talk about the passing game and all that stuff. Because right now, I mean, what do you worry about more? Is it the running of the Arizona Cardinals, which is you know a new staple that Cliff Kingsbury's come out with? Or is it going to be the running of Kyler Murray? They've been very inconsistent with the passes. Kyler Murray has you know, not been as accurate as he was even as late as last year. And uh, he's missing some open targets. Boy, him, mean, he had one where Larry Fitzgerald was wide open in the end zone. And he overthrew him, and he had a 20-yard pass that was going to go to uh, DeAndre Hopkins, and that wasn't able to go. We'll also talk to uh, Fox Sports' Mark Sloreth at 11 o'clock. He's going to be doing the broadcasting of the game. So plenty to talk about. Seattle coming up at Arizona. And again, repeating the news, Michael Kendricks added to the practice squad. Number three. You know, a lot of players
2: with this new coaching staff have been reluctant to get back to reporters. We haven't been in the locker room. We haven't really gotten a sense. Is this team buying into this new coaching staff? And there has sort of been these insinuations, even by the coaching staff, that perhaps these players are improvising a bit. Let me tell you what I'm now hearing from some of the players this morning. You know, now that, of course, it's two and four, discontent starts to leak out, Andrew. I'm told this coaching staff is totally unprepared. They don't teach. They don't have any sense of adjusting on the fly. Another saying, they just aren't good at their
1: job. Wow. Bold statement. Jane Slater talking to some of the players for the Dallas Cowboys anonymously and they are just ripping the coaching staff and of course how bad can it get because I mean certainly the Cowboys you know maybe even more so than the Houston uh, Texans most disappointing team in football uh, in the sense that they are just awful right now they can't do anything on defense uh, offensively uh, they've got four starters down we'll see about Zach Martin he's got a concussion but the Cowboys you know and uh, I was even seeing some projections because I was looking at projections over the weekend and it looked like Cowboys could if they can go five and one in the division, they can win the division with a six and well uh, six wins and ten losses. But now there's some thoughts that uh, it could be a division you could have four or five wins to win that division. Jerry Jones did not have a good mood after that 38 to 10 loss to Arizona on Monday night. Cowboys are sitting there with a two and four record. Mike McCarthy right now under a big scrutiny, even though again getting nine million dollars a year, and it would be a big bite for the uh, team if they have to let him go but uh, which i don't think is going to happen but nevertheless it's a mess right now in dallas
2: number four one thing that i've learned um during this pandemic um the prediction business is a dangerous business um obviously we would love to play 162 um you know it is our business it's the the season that our fans um expect and love Um, And, you know, the only caveat on it is what's going to happen with respect to um, what has proven to be a very unpredictable virus.
1: That's uh, MLB Commissioner Bob Manfred talking about not committing to a 162-game schedule for next year. And of course, I mean, as crazy as it was how poorly they put everything together for the 60-game schedule, yeah, don't make any predictions like that. And he was speaking on talkings on ESPN Radio Tuesday ahead of the World Series. Uh, In addition to the uncertainty of the schedule length, Manfred says he's in favor of trying to keep the new extra innings rules, which I don't know if anybody likes, but I don't like it. But, you know, putting a runner at second base to start the 10th inning, eh, don't like that, but... uh, figures that uh, I don't think Rob Manfred cares what I care about and what other fans may care about of the, of the sport uh, they are liking the idea of the expanded playoffs and that could very well stay beyond this year according to the commissioner all 30 teams have combined for nearly three billion dollars in operating losses because of the pandemic and of course you've seen a lot of cutbacks in front offices I mean big ones in Seattle and all these other teams and everybody kind of pared down pairing down to minor league systems and all that stuff in the end it's Uh, one that you can see that uh, you know baseball did get through the season they had a great postseason no question about it and it's still going on right now with the Dodgers going up against the uh, Rays and so uh, that's going very well and of course they made it through the COVID's problems and all that stuff so that's encouraging but I guess right now three billion dollars in losses for baseball and of course at least they did win by having a season number five
0: There are questions about what the Jets would do if they finished with the number one pick. What would happen to Sam Darnold? Well, the Cardinals were just in that spot with Josh Rosen. They wound up trading Josh Rosen for a two and a five to draft Kyler Murray. And there are GMs around the league who believe that if the Jets were in that spot, they would go ahead and draft Trevor Lawrence. And they believe that they would be able to get back for Sam Darnold a second-round pick Maybe a one depending on the situation, but there's a lot going on there with Sam Darnold. The Jets may be in that spot. It'll be interesting to see how that plays out.
1: Yeah, you'd have to think right now there's going to be a sell-off with the New York Jets, and now the question is going to be will anything happen with Darnold before the trade deadline, which I think is unlikely. I think it's going to be more after the season to see if they can get Trevor Lawrence, because at least they still have control over him with the fifth uh, year option that they can have. But I agree like with Adam that uh, the best they're going to probably be able to do is a second-round pick. You know, Maybe you know they can get an extra pick somewhere down the line, but I think overall, second-round pick is what you can get, because again, his four years has been a disaster, and it's not necessarily his fault. Again, I use the stat at the moment that if you look at the 53-man roster, the only Pro Bowl player or guy who's been to the Pro Bowl is 37-year-old Frank Gore. I don't think that's going to be something you're going to be building around. You've got Steve McClendon, uh, a nose tackle. He was traded for a 6th-round pick, and they get a 7th-round pick they had to give back uh, to Tampa Bay. And people were wondering about 2019 first round with Quinn and Williams, whether he's going to be traded. But I do think that the Jets are going to be shopping around you know they tried to trade Le'Veon on bell they didn't they ended up cutting him but it's an ab- absolute mess The Jets are terrible, one of the worst teams we've seen in the last couple years. I mean, could it be that they could be as bad as that Lion team before the Matthew Stafford draft that uh, went winless, 0-16? Could it be as bad as one of the Cleveland Brown winless teams? Very well could be. It is an absolute mess. Hey, you can listen to the show via the 710 Sports app. It's powered by the Dubin Law Group. Coming up next, we're going to go under further review and talk about which Cardinal players should the Seahawks worry about the most. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle. Under further review with John Clayton. We'll review the play. Division play starts this week for the Seahawks on Sunday in Arizona. And now you have to start to look and see, okay, with divisions, what kind of matchups are going to be there. What are going to be the tough challenges? And obviously, you know, when you're looking at the, any team, if you have a good quarterback, that's going to be a tough challenge. And so I know that, uh, you know, DeAndre Hopkins is going to be probably maybe the toughest challenge this team's had because the last time <clears throat> that the Hopkins played, he had over 200 yards in a game here in Seattle. So I know that that is a topic of conversation right now. And so uh, what's it look like? Jake Heaps was on today and t- on Tuesday was talking about, as we go into further review, which Cardinal players? Should the Seahawks be most concerned with Jake? Which Arizona Cardinal player does the Seahawks offense need to be concerned about?
0: Uh, normally, I would be saying Chandler Jones. Chandler Jones being the, one of the best sack artists in the entire NFL. Chandler Jones, who absolutely would demolish Russell Wilson a couple different times uh, throughout the season last year, particularly the second game uh, at Century League Field last season. You're not going to have to worry about him. He tore his bicep uh, and is out for the remainder of the season. But the guy that the Seahawks offense has to be concerned about and watch and try and control and limit his playmaking ability is Buda Baker. Safety Buda Baker, who the Arizona Cardinals paid big, big money to over the offseason, people were wondering what was going on, why would they pay him that much money if he didn't have an, an interception. Well, he got his first interception this, this last game against the Dallas Cowboys, but he brings the juice, he brings the energy, he plays the game that any old school football player would be proud of. I mean, he flies around, reckless abandon, hitting guys, blitzing the quarterback. He plays very similarly to Jamal Adams, to be honest with you, but just a, a, uh, has the ability to play more of a free safety role uh, as well as his strong safety responsibility. So if Buda Baker is flying around and making big hits and, 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 and able to get to the quarterback and getting tackles for loss, uh, that defense is going to get energized. They need to limit Buda Baker's impact in this game.
1: Yeah because again there's and that's the thing that Matt Rule brought in from college uh, when he went to Carolina, and he brought the idea, which you know coaches knew, but of course we didn't know, is like you call them positionalist players, that they can play uh, several positions and do it at a very high level. And that's in particularly the uh, safety role, because like in the case of Jamal Adams and Buda Baker, you, know, you play him at strong safety in the box, and they can come up and play the run. They can blitz. You know, you have Buda Baker blitzing a lot on Sunday. Uh, you can see that you have uh, the ability to put him at, free safety if necessary and put him in coverage. You can put him at linebacker and do some things. And so, you know, Buda Baker has now become one of the best playmakers. And what a change in the NFL because, you know, the change basically comes down to that, you know, back in the Cam chancellor days, you know, the strong safety was one that his job was mainly to be in the box and stop the run. And now uh, you've got guys like uh, Adams and you've got guys like Buda Baker and Mika Fitzpatrick and all that that now takes the uh, chance to go ahead and just be a playmaker and of course you know I think the interception thing is totally uh, overdone because you know they don't get the opportunities at those spots to maybe get the interceptions I mean what Jamal Adams came into this season with only what two picks in his first three years that's not as big of a deal and you know because you know you're not they're not necessarily throwing on them. I mean but right now these guys are chasing people and trying to make play after play after play and they're not going to be in position to be necessarily there getting interceptions they'll get some But I mean, you look at the fact Byron Jones ended up going to the Miami dolphins at a cornerback and he only had like two picks in his career. So sometimes, I mean, you want the turnovers. There's no doubt as Pete Carroll always says, you want, got to win the turnover battle to win. But also if you can have guys like Jamal Adams and Buddha Baker forcing things, they can, they can give you the position to get other players to get the turnovers where the big thing is for your defense to be able to get the turnovers. So that's, that's on the agenda right now. And I don't know, Curtis, it's like, uh, you know, sometimes you know everybody gets caught up in the numbers, and uh, you know, the, as opposed to just watching the play. And the play sometimes is more important than numbers. But as long as you get the wins,
3: well, and as we're seeing across the NFL, this has been going on for decades now. Interception numbers are going down because the rules favor the offense. Uh, you know, quarterbacks are getting all day to throw. Uh, you know, wide receivers are you know getting space because defensive backs aren't allowed to you know get as close to them as they were back in you know the 60s, 70s and 80s. So obviously interception numbers are going to be going down across the board for every defensive back, not just a certain few here or there. You you're very rarely going to see double digit interceptions out of a single player. Uh, you know, from here until the end of time, because it just doesn't happen these days. Quarterbacks are far more accurate than they were, and and I think to look at the interception numbers, and and that is the end all be all stat for a defensive back. Uh, I I don't think that's very fair to uh, what a lot of these DBs bring to the table, especially like you mentioned, Jamal Adams and, and Buda Baker, two guys who. Uh, Baker, who got the payday, Adams, who is nearing that payday, uh, you know, their impact is felt in so many other ways on the field uh, to just limit it to interceptions uh, is really, you know, narrowing the scope of what they do each and every game and and their impact uh, is is so much more. I mean, heck, you could make the argument now that Baker and Adams are the two best pass rushers on their team, which is,, uh, you know, with Ch- with Chandler Jones out and obviously with C- the Seahawks not really having, you know, a a dominant pass rush as it is, uh, I don't think that's out of the ordinary to to say that both those guys are are the best at getting to the quarterback on their teams. No,
1: I would agree and that's uh that's that's what's so interesting and you know, I've been saying this now all around the country for uh it's like you you can't go by old standards this year. Because this year is so different, you know, because uh, they're they're calling the game differently. You know, I counted up on Sunday, uh, over the week six, you know, there was 14 games. You know how many holding penalties? Now, again, what, what, what I started to do is I would go through the play-by-plays and take all the holding penalties. And now what I've done is that I, obviously, we're talking offensive holding. And, you know, I'm, I took away the special teams plays, you know, the punts and all that and would you believe on Sunday there was only 17 march-offs on holding penalties offensive holding and 21 called
3: wow that's like what two a game maybe Yeah,
1: yeah, less than that I mean it's like it's incredible and I mean you have several games I mean what this is the Seahawks uh, a couple weeks ago didn't have a single penalty that was the same thing that happened in one of the games this weekend and so penalties are just down and so as uh you know we heard Uh, Ladanian Tomlinson say what ends up happening when you have that go the quarterback now doesn't have to get out of his rhythm you can get more rhythm going you can keep a faster pace and that's why the let's Russ Cook thing now really works better because you know as long as you can not have to have those second and 20s and first and 15 you know first and 20s and all that stuff I mean you have a very good chance of you know moving the football and getting a touchdown drive
3: absolutely you do and and uh, the Seahawks offense definitely taking advantage of, of just the situation that's been handed to them this year. You're, you're seeing them march down the field pretty much at will. And, and I don't know if the Cardinals' defense right now, outside of Buda Baker and maybe Patrick Peterson to a lesser extent, uh, you know, I don't know if it, it, it's a defense that's going to be able to stop the Seahawks uh, offensively. I, I wonder if the Cardinals are going to be able to, or or I wonder if the Seahawks are going to be able to stop the Cardinals. John, when you look at this matchup, and maybe we'll get into it with Kent Summers here. Uh, what is the the battle you're going to be looking at the most on Sunday? Is it going to be Seattle's offense going up against their defense? No, I think the big,
1: the big battle is going to contain DeAndre Hopkins because he's had great success against this team, particularly in the last time that they played you know, with over 200 yards and all that. And he's a challenge. I mean, you know, say what you want, he's the second best receiver in football, uh, depending on where you want to put Michael Thomas, and he's such a big thing. And of course, you know, he's one of the most targeted uh, wide receivers in football, but now. Now, the question is going to be, with some of the inaccuracies we're starting to see uh, with the high throws that are being made by Kyler Murray, how can they connect? I mean, the challenge is going to be because, again, you've seen this team give up more big plays than they should, and that has to be fixed. But can you fix it? You know, on one side where you have Larry Fitzgerald, a Hall of Famer, and DeAndre Hopkins, a budding Hall of Famer, that's going to be, that's, I think, going to be the big challenge.
3: Yeah, and it's going to be a fun one to watch for sure on Sunday uh, as the Seahawks, you know, they're going to be – I think this will be the toughest game so far that they've had. I mean, the Cowboys, obviously, the Patriots, the Vikings, those ones uh, were very tough in their own right. But I think the Cardinals are are better than those three teams right now, and uh, it should be a very good one. And and We'll hear from Mark Schlereth coming up at 11 o'clock. Who's going to be calling the game? Uh, So he'll have an interesting perspective on it.
1: No doubt about it. And, of course, you can uh, tell your smart speaker to play 710 ESPN Seattle. Remember, you can always listen to 710 on your smart speaker or app. Coming up next, we'll talk to Arizona Republic columnist Ken Summers about the Cardinals. John Clayton shows 710 ESPN Seattle.
0: It's John Clayton. Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studio.
1: Two hours, every day, 10 to noon.
0: Streaming live at 710sports.com. On demand on the 710 Seattle Sports App.
1: Hey, joining us is Kent Summers of the Arizona Republic, and of course, columnist there. He used to be a beat reader on the Cardinals for such a longest time, and so uh, Cardinals are 4-2, and two and you know, lost two games that they might have been able to win because Detroit's no good, and Carolina's in a rebuilding process, but how do you kind of evaluate this team right now and where it is
2: um i, I think you know everybody's happy that they're they're foreign two, but they realize they left one or two games on the table they feel um but you know if you would have said before the season four and two after six games they would have probably taken it um i, I think the most curious thing about this team is is they're scoring points and they're putting up yards but yet there's a real feeling uh, among Kingsbury and the, his players, Kyler Murray, et cetera, that they, they really haven't hit a rhythm offensively yet, that they're missing on some things, and they better fix it quickly with you know Seattle and, and Buffalo, Seattle twice and Buffalo coming up in the next five weeks.
1: What, what seems to be not in sync?
2: The passing game. Uh, I, I think you can start with uh, Murray's accuracy, it just hasn't been there. I know the numbers look good from an accuracy standpoint, but that's always going to be inflated a bit because of Kingsbury's offenses is, you know, the number of short throws it has, but he's missed some wide open receivers. I mean, just last week late in the game, he had Larry Fitzgerald open in the end zone, missed him. He had DeAndre Hopkins about 20 yards down the field. Missed him. We've sort of seen two or three throws like that in in each game, where you know usually he's high when he misses. It's it's unlike him because he's he's been accurate throughout his career, including last year as a rookie. You know they've missed on some deep balls. That's and you know Murray was hard on himself after Monday night's game against Dallas, even though you know the the Cardinals put up 38 points. He wasn't real happy with the way he played. So I think that you can start with that and um you know they they've been trying to develop a a deep threat they they tried to go to andy isabella a lot their second round pick from a couple years ago he looks at times bewildered out there and you know fans here will probably forever wonder why they passed on dk Metcalf for andy isabella but that that's what's missing um but they seem to be hitting their stride just a, a a little bit you know but as I said, the degree of difficulty goes up a lot. You know, it's, they've played the Jets and the Cowboys the last two weeks. So it's it's hard to say, you know, have they found themselves or have they just played bad teams?
1: Yeah, I just wrote this column for the Washington Post, which basically talked about the haves and the have-nots. And I don't know, you can probably chime in on this, too, because you've been covering it this is the longest time, is that I've never seen as many haves and have-nots, and the haves may not be great, but they're certainly going to take advantage of the have-nots. And you got, what, 10 teams right now? Uh, that are uh, you know we're 12 teams right now that are have-nots and about 10 of them have like one win or less and so uh, what you saw is that uh, you know of course they you know it, it inflates the records and certainly you see it in the NFC West uh, playing the NFC East and the AFC East you know, that that uh, division benefits more than anybody else and so you're right it's hard to tell because I mean you look at the Rams they won the NFC East with a 4-0 record and then they come back and they uh, you know Get, they almost beat Buffalo, but they were down 28 to three and then they lose to San Francisco.
2: Yeah, it's a, it's a head scratcher, uh, what's going on. And, and, you know, in the Cardinals for a while played down to their competition or even below the competition. I mean, there's no way they should have lost to the lions in Arizona. I mean, there's just no excuse for that. And there were a couple games, I think there that, that Kingsbury was, was outcoached and I've, I've been a big fan i've been a convert over the last year and a half but i thought that was particularly the case in in carolina with matt rule i think he and his defensive coordinator phil snow had a really good read coming from college on what kingsbury was trying to do um you know the teams that have had success against kyler murray have had very disciplined rushes they uh you know they don't get too deep in the pocket and allow him out they play a lot of zones so they can keep their eyes on him prevent him from running that seems to be the game plan and you know and I, I think the Jets and the Cowboys just aren't good enough defensively to operate so you know big picture I don't know exactly what you know how good this Cardinals team is they've got some injuries defensively with Chandler Jones out they're going to struggle with the pass rush I think um so it's A lot remains to be seen. We're going to find out a lot about this team because of the schedule over the next month, five weeks.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Take us through the uh, origins of the Kingsbury offense because, I mean, it's because, again, air raid guy, you know, Mike Leach, disciple and all that stuff. And it seems like he's changed the offense more times than I I can imagine.
2: Yeah, he really impressed me last year. They, They came out in the first month. And, you know, threw the ball a lot. It looked more like traditional air raid um, than than anything else. And they weren't playing well. And he listened to some of his veteran uh, assistant coaches, you know, offensive line coach Sean Kugler in particular, saying, look, we've we've got to run the ball. We've got to start using tight ends. We can't go, you know, just 10 personnel all the time. And and Kingsbury, to his credit, adjusted. And they really became a run-first team and, you know, traded for Kenyon Drake at midseason. And he helped ignite. That running game. So I think, I think, you know, the run game, it's, it's not an offense, you know, that, that's going to come out and throw the ball all over the field. I think sometimes people get a, uh, you know, the wrong idea with air raid this and air raid that. They will run the ball. What they will do is go up tempo a lot, especially if they feel like they hit a big play or two and they have the defense on its heels. They like to go up tempo in the first half a lot, figuring they'll wear a defense down by the third and fourth quarter that's been really uh, effective for him. I think as I mentioned at the at the top of this the talents for Kingsbury now is to get the passing game going to and you know DeAndre Hopkins has been great but to you know get other receivers involved consistently. Larry Fitzgerald's barely been a factor. Christian Kirk is has been injured but you know he hasn't really been a factor. I don't think they've thrown to the tight ends as much as they can. So there, there's a lot of work to do on that side of the ball even even though they're putting up points and yards.
1: Yeah, no doubt. Uh, And, you know, Drake has really done well.
2: Yeah, he has. A little sluggish to start off the season. I thought, you know, he was missing some things. He didn't really look as explosive as he did a year ago, but, you know, he's taken off in the last couple weeks. And, you know, I I think he's been pushed a little bit by the backup, Chase Edmonds. They, They love to use him also. We've seen two back sets. They love to throw the ball to Edmonds. He's been very effective, turned in a lot of big plays. And, in limited playing time, so they've got a nice one-two punch there at running back.
1: No doubt, uh, and of course, uh, offensive line is it improved or not? I know not having J.R. Sweezy has to be a little bit of a setback.
2: A little bit, but you know they they really love his replacement, Justin Murray, who who had you know subbed in some series at both guard spots uh, even before the injury. I, I I mean I don't they won't admit this publicly, but I don't think they think there's a drop off at all. Between the two. Sweezy at times has struggled in games. I think next year they're going to go to Murray anyway. I think this just speeds up that schedule. So it's not a great offensive line. I think it's a testament to good coaching with Sean Kugler and staying healthy. I, 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 you know, I've been a firm believer that you don't, you don't need five pro bowlers up there. But you need five solid players and, and to stay healthy and good coaching, and I think you, know, you can be successful in the NFL with that, and, and that's what's happened with this team so far.
1: Talk about the defense, because obviously the defense was going to determine where this team was going to be, and against you know, some easier type opponents, it did some very good things, but also uh, losing Chandler Jones has really got to impact them.
2: Yeah, it's a defense that's still, I think, trying to find itself, even with Chandler Jones, was healthy. Um, He had one sack in five games, Uh, hadn't been forced that he has been in the past. Everybody thought that, though, was going to turn around. But, uh, you know, they they have shored up some things. They're better than they were last year, which isn't saying a a ton, I know. but they, they've looked better, but it, again, it goes back to they, they, okay, they played well against the Jets and the Cowboys, you know, and, and the Cowboys played most of that game Monday night with four backup offensive linemen. So how much do you make of that, you know, and you still have to wonder going forward, where's the pass rush going to come from? Um, they're, they're better. They're especially better along the front four, but I don't know that there's a dominant player in that group. Uh, the, the guy that's absolutely fantastic is Buda Baker, who's pro bowler last year at safety, and he's even better this year. I mean, he's, he's playing safety as well as anyone has for the Cardinals since they moved to Arizona in 88. And, you know, and I go back that far when, to see Tim McDonald, uh, uh, Adrian Wilson, uh, Tyron Matthew, you know, uh, Pat Tillman, et cetera. He's, he's as good as anybody has been at that spot for them.
1: No doubt. Uh, and it would be uh, it's interesting because, you know, Seahawks picked up Jamal Adams and, you know, because no, you and I have never seen many jet games because unless you are on the schedule, uh, <laughs> yeah, they're not on TV for the most part. But I mean, Jamal Adams is just like Buda Baker and, and, and in many ways I know the NFL Network voted him as the best safety in football. But I think what you're looking at is in Buda Baker and Harrison Smith and also with uh, Jamal Adams, these are the three best safeties in the league.
2: Yeah, and, you, and and like those guys, you know, Vance Joseph has used Buda Baker in a variety of ways. He's 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 so good against the run and such a good tackler. Last week against the Giants, we saw him. I mean, against the Cowboys, we saw him blitz more than he has this season. He got his first interception of his career last week. Um, against the Cowboys, I mean, and, and he's done all this. He missed one game because he had surgery to repair a thumb ligament, and he's he, you know he's doing all this in his first and second games back from surgery. So they they really struggled. It's a reason they they lost and struggled against Carolina. That's the game he missed. You can tell when he's out; it's just not even close to the same defense. He's the he's the heart and soul of that that side of the ball. There's no doubt.
1: He is um. When, when you when you are they more of a zone team or a man to man?
2: Man to man, they love to play man to man. That's Vance Joseph's style. He's sort of from that you know that Wade Phillips lineage of style of defense. He loves to bring pressure. They prefer to play man to man. It will be interesting to see what they do against the Seahawks with you know with Russell and and those receivers, the threats they have. But you know, I, I think they trust their man to man enough that, that we'll see. We'll see plenty of
1: that. No doubt. Hey, Ken Summers from the Arizona Republic. Great stuff. Uh, sorry I won't be seeing you, but, of course, uh, nobody gets to see each other anymore as far as uh, yeah. where it is in the NFL. So.
2: Right. Yeah, well, great. Thanks for having me on, John.
1: Hey, be sure to check out the professor's notes at 710sports.com. Professor Notes brought to you by Infinity of Tacoma at Fife. We'll get you caught up on what's going on in the National Football League when we go behind the lines next. John Clayton Show, 710 ESPN Seattle.
0: John Clayton.
1: Powered through the Alaska Airlines Studios.
0: On demand with a 710 Seattle Sports app.
1: Well, of course, the news on the Seahawk front is that Michael Kendricks did sign his uh, contract and he's going to be on the practice squad. Uh, We don't know. Because again, he did take the test about a week or so ago, so he can maybe get a chance to even practice today. He's coming off the ACL injury. Good signing and of course, this will be a big couple days of practice for Damon Snacks Harrison to see if he's going to be in shape enough and ready to be able to play against Arizona in Arizona on Sunday. So, pretty strong moves right now, getting two guys who've got great starting experience, who've been around. Kendricks, of course, for the two years he was here, has played very well and we see that uh, you know that sentencing for his fraud case uh, is now going to be January 21st, so he's going to be available the rest of the season if needed to pull him off the practice squad and Curtis put him on the roster.
3: Yeah, the only compromising date with that sentencing date would probably be the Super Bowl or maybe the NFC Championship game, one of the two. Uh, but knowing how this case has gone, John, over the last couple of years with Kendricks, a member of the Seahawks, would you be shocked if it gets pushed back beyond no. that I no wouldn't. because
1: again it's like the courts are so backed up right now i mean you saw that with the quentin dunbar situation you know along with deandre baker that uh you know they weren't going to be able to probably get the court in 2 years
3: yeah it I mean, was it was going to be a long time before anything happened in, in that case and it's been a long time since anything's happened in the michael kendrick's case but uh john just from a, a football standpoint Uh, We've seen Kendricks over the last couple of seasons. Both years have ended with season-ending injuries. Last year was, what, a torn ACL uh, that ended his season. uh, We're about, what, 10 months removed from that injury that he sustained. Uh, How do you think Kendricks is going to look uh, coming back from, uh, you know, it's not as serious of an injury as it used to be in the NFL, but it's still you know a, a very brutal one when it happens. How do you think he'll look?
1: I think he'll be fine. I mean, uh, you know, he's had now some, enough time. And remember, it's not as if uh, they're going to press him into service immediately. I mean, they've got, you know, what, seven other linebacker options right now, I mean, or six other out linebacker options, because one of them, obviously, is not going to be Bruce Irvin. You know, so they have six other options. And so they're they're in pretty good shape in that regard, because, uh, you know, you still have uh, Shaquem Griffin available. He can do whatever is going to be necessary. But again, you know, they're going to be, you know, they have Cody Barton right now starting. We'll see if Jordan Brooks is going to be available to start doing some things this week or next week and all that stuff. I mean, so they're they're in good shape and you know this this is a move now that you're just trying to stack the deck and you know have op- op- options that can really help you out. And again, I think that's the interesting part about, you know, you try to build a little bit of loyalty because, you know, here is Snacks Harrison, you know, He knows like four guys on this team from his experience in Detroit. And here's Tampa Bay with the loss of Fita Vea coming after him off the practice squad. And he says, no, I'm going to stay here. And, you know, he took the $12,000 or so paycheck uh, this past week. And, you know, there's no guarantee he's going to be on the active roster this week. But I think, uh, you know, you can see there's some loyalty building. And, of course, getting Kendricks back, I think, is good. Yeah. And again, and you can see now players be willing to accept that because, you know, if you're already now starting to head into the middle of the season and you don't have a job in a roster, you've got to position yourself to get the chance to get on with the team. And then, you know, if you need to go to someplace else in the practice squad but then, and then go on to uh, be on a roster someplace else, you can do it. And so, you know, this team now, uh, of, you know, remember, you're allowed to keep six players and it doesn't matter their experience, but now you get a starting type of defensive tackle run stopper and snacks Harrison you get a starting type linebacker in uh, Michael Kendricks and then you know you get uh, Demarius Randall you know he's been a former first round pick and a starter at the safety position
3: uh, John, also in the NFL, a move that was very surprising to, I think, everybody involved yesterday. That would be the Dolphins announcing that Tua Tagovailoa is going to be the starting quarterback the rest of the way. Ryan Fitzpatrick, uh, with, a, with a lot of comments today in the media, talking about how he was shocked by it, caught off guard. He said, it was a hard thing for me to hear yesterday, just digesting the news. my new My heart just hurt all day. Uh, And then Ryan Fitzpatrick also said this quote. Uh, He said, I basically got fired yesterday, and today my day consisted of Zoom meetings with the guy that fired me and sitting in a room with the guy who replaced me for four hours. That is a a direct quote from Ryan Fitzpatrick. Clearly, he's not happy by the move. Uh, He, you know, obviously he is a, a, a team first guy. But he's been taken aback by the move. I think Tua's dad said something to Tua after the game, like, really, after two throws they're going to put you in as the starting quarterback? Yeah. is, did anybody see this move coming so soon, especially with you know Ryan Fitzpatrick playing at a pretty good clip so far?
1: Yeah, nobody saw it coming. I think that's pretty evident uh, because you know it's, it's one that caught people by surprise. But I think what it came down to is that they wanted to put him in during a bye week, right? So they would have two weeks to prepare and get ready. Not that he would do anything in the first week because he's going to be on the bye week. But I think what the idea is is that, uh, okay, you go ahead and try to – Uh, do this and remember what changed was their bye week was going to be week 11 and then of course with the pandemic and everything else and they juggled the schedule it turned out now they moved it up to week seven and so even though it's three and three and here's the interesting thing about that because the reason week 11 sounded good you know because coming up they've got games against you know the cardinals and the rams but then they have four easy games because they take on teams like denver uh cincinnati uh the jets and, you know, teams all with losing records. And so they were going to put him in at a time that, uh, you know, he have a chance to definitely win the game. But now they're three and three. And, you know, he could, you know, he could drop his first two games, but at least he'll get tested. And so, uh, you know, you kind of definitely feel bad for, uh, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick. And I thought he was going to be, you know, more accepting because it sounded like early in the week that he was. But now you hear the comments and you can see eh, not too accepting. But, uh, you know, and this because, again, they're not a playoff team. But technically, they're in the playoff race at 3-3 three and three because, you know, they can have this stretch where they got the surprise win in San Francisco and played a, a bunch of bad teams. I mean, they're 0-3 against good teams and, you know, 2-0 and 0 against bad teams. And, you know, they got the win in San Francisco against a, a beat-up 49er team. So that's that's kind of the, the change there. But kind of an interesting move. And what you wonder about is that uh, now the team goes from a right-handed quarterback to one of those rare left-handers. And the weak link on the offensive line is Jesse Davis, who is the right tackle. And he's now trying to protect the blind side of Tua. And they're starting left tackle Austin Jackson, who actually looks pretty good, you know, with uh, all the changes. Remember, they have four new offensive linemen. He's on injured reserve. So is that line going to be good enough? And can Tua handle this? And so, uh, you know, that's going to be kind of an interesting thing. But, you know, the Rams, I think, have a definite advantage going up against him.
3: I think so, yeah, because the whole lefty switch, I mean, your offensive line is, is going to be operating a little different. The wide receivers, they're not used to catching balls from the opposite hand, so it'll be uh, uh, maybe an adjustment there in Miami going from Fitzpatrick to Tua.
1: Yeah, no doubt about it. Hey, coming up next, we're going to talk to Mark Slurith from Box Sports. Check in because he's going to be doing the game on Sunday with Seattle and Arizona. John Clayton shows 710 ESPN Seattle.